Hello and welcome to another episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin here as always with Teo Sabadia, but we have some special guests who have come in from the Witchlight. Teos, take it away. Hey Sean, how exciting is this? We have Will Doyle and Stacy Allen on the show today coming in straight from the Feywild. Yeah. Hello. Hey. <laughs> hey. Thank you for having us. We are happy oh. to be here. Yeah. We are uh, very, very excited, as always, to speak with both of you. But on the heels of the new release uh, of the latest and greatest Watsi hardcover book, uh, we wanted to talk directly to some of the creative minds behind it, and yeah. that would be that would be you two. <laughs> That's us. It's, it's, it's funny how that works. <laughs> so. Uh, for those people who don't know who you are, even though I know that we've mentioned both of you on the show multiple times, uh, could you just give us sort of a brief introduction of who you are, uh, what you do, both in real life and in the D&D world? Oh, well, I, I uh, um, am a video game designer. Um, I've been a video game designer for a long time, and I write a lot of D&D stuff. So mm. I have contributed to uh, a number of... Uh, what's he products number of the hard covers now um and uh and have done so recently along with stacy as well mm-hmm. um stacy is uh an artist yeah i'm a, i i used to be a video games artist as well um yeah an artist in video games um but i left out i was a freelance artist still am a freelance artist but um at the moment yeah i'm doing a lot of wonderful creative stuff for Watsi. So writing, I'm doing layout, cartography with Will. Um, yeah, a bit of everything, really. <laughs> yeah, so we've, we've been working on these things together. So we both um, we, uh, both do the maps yep. um, and both mm-hmm. do writing uh, yep. for D&D. Yep. So if, if we look at the credit page for uh, the Witchlight book, we will see you under both writers and cartography. That's correct. That's yeah. It, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Very lucky. <laughs> And I, and the, the, oh, go ahead, Teos. Well, I just that part right there just really strikes me because um, I like to think, oh, you know, I'm good at this one thing, and then I'm so bad at other <laughs> things. And how you have these artistic skills, writing skills, layout? Did those happen all simultaneously? And how, or did you work on one? And like, how does one become you? What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> we well, we. Uh... We met a long time ago, and um, we uh, started playing D&D together um, and uh, discovered we had this shared interest in this sort of stuff. And we were both working together at the same uh, video games company. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we I, mean, I guess video games teach you quite a lot about it. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of everything in video games when you're working as part of a team. So I was an artist, but you work with designers you work with you know a whole different range of people and you kind of pick up a few skills here and there um and for me writing was something that I'd always done sort of as a child and throughout my teens but art was where I was kind of leaning towards um but then when when Will and I met we were able to kind of we worked on quite a few you know we did quite a lot of few things together yeah yeah it was it was interesting because like Stacey says, she you know she was an artist, and in my job, um, I did quite a lot of writing. Um, but when I was young, I always wanted to be an artist, um, and so I was always kind of drawing maps and stuff. Um, and then we had this great thing where I didn't I didn't know how to do anything with colours, 
um, so I'd be able to draw these maps. And then Stacy would take them on and color them in and make them look suddenly magnificent. Um, wow. And we thought, oh, that was that was pretty cool. In fact, one of the first things we did not long after we met was Will illustrated the characters from his sort of long time D and D group, and I colored them in. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So we discovered that we could kind of draw pictures together, which yeah. was which was quite weird. It's not something kind of thought of doing before um and over time I guess I, my art skills got better um and then Stacy started to to write yeah I started writing again really after uh we had our daughter um because I, I was being so creative up until when I had my daughter and then I still wanted to be creative you know um and I found that writing was something that I could do because I could just sit and do it on my phone if she was sleeping in the car or something and I was like waiting for her you know I could just and I yeah so I started writing like that and uh and we were always talking about D&D we were always talking about you were always talking about D&D <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> every meal every car journey so yeah um, i have the same so yeah. in my relationship it's just only from me <laughs> <laughs> oh that's yeah so is is the creative process then something that you work on together or is it more uh, especially now that you have a daughter and there are other duties to do. Is it something like you'll work on something and hand it off and, and not see it again until the other person's done with it? We we spend a lot of time brainstorming yeah. together. Yeah. That, that's um, that's been really nice, and it's it's kind of uh, like last summer when we were working on Witchlight. Um, you know, it's a beautiful summer here, and we just go out in the evening and uh, sit outside. It and, got us through lockdown. Yeah, got, got us through <laughs> lockdown. And we just come up with brainstorm loads and loads of ideas together. And that interaction, you know, that continual kind of back and forth really, really helps kind of get the ideas right. And I think because we've been doing it for like, talking about just for when you know if Will's writing if if Will's DMing and writing the adventures for our home groups and we're kind of batting ideas around. Um we're not so scared to say silly ideas in front of each other you know what I mean like anything yeah. goes you can just you know yeah. it's not it's not going to be embarrassing if you say something because sometimes out of the silliest comment you know you can get a little seed of an idea and then we can build on that so yeah we do spend a lot of a lot of time brainstorming and coming up with silly ideas yeah so are you just like always in your household packing in design in around the rest of your lives is that sort of how it works yeah, yeah. kind of in the, in the <laughs> it's I mean that that said I think it's really, really important to be able to shut down as well. You know, that we we always make sure that we have we have nights where we're like, okay, we're not gonna do any D and D tonight. We're going to, you know, just chill out and watch a movie or, you know, whatever. Um and I think that's really important. And some some nights we, you know, just aren't feeling up for it, or one of us might not be feeling up for it, yeah. and the other one can kind of take on some stuff there. So when it comes to the writing of it, well, after we brainstormed all our stuff, we then do kind of separate it off. And so you'll go off and be writing your bit and I'll yeah. be off writing my bit. And I can step in and, and kind of help and vice versa. Um, so we go over each other's writing. Yeah, we edit each other's work quite a bit um, as we go as well. And, uh, and I guess, and, and then also with like the, the mapping, like when, we, when we did the mapping, uh, that was kind of like, my I do the first bit Stacy does a section of that we kind of finalize the 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 sketch and then Stacy takes it off and colors it while I'm working on the next one Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of quite separate and I I spent 
all my time actually um a load of time on, on which like listening to this show which was <laughs> like, that's what I was doing because because it's good that, that kind of that mapping stuff is very different from the writing because you can listen and you can enjoy um you know podcasts and you know radio plays or whatever um yeah you were just listening to random so we'll be looking for the next murder mystery uh, adventure coming <laughs> oh my goodness i already came up with the yeah, whole, yeah. Like, yeah, whole sort of he's like you're doing poirot fan art <laughs> yeah it's a few too many late nights working on the maps i think <laughs> well, I, know, I know for me, it's been an absolute pleasure to watch uh, both of you over the, a number of years, um, whether it's things like, you know, when Stacy put out the first uh, DMs Guild product uh, that you did, or, um, you know, 4 Adventures that Will did, which are some of my favorites. I really, you know, <laughs> I, I've said this to you before, but I, I really dig that design and the elements that you have there uh, and the art that comes through. And I'm sure there are other folks out there listening who sort of feel the same way, like they really enjoy the design you've both done. And what would, we, what would you say to other people who are inspired by what you do? Like, how do they, what would you suggest to, to try to get to where, you know, I mean, it's a dream to, to do what you've done with Wizards and, and on all your various products, but to even get towards that area, what, what, what would you suggest to other people who are listening? Wow. Well, I mean, I, I think uh, one of the things we, we try and do is when we do get the opportunities that we have um we really do try to kind of execute them well i think that there's we put a lot of work into it we we kind of have a commitment not to hand over something that's unfinished you know that we will have put something yeah, even across. when a first draft is asked for we usually try and make it the finished one yeah yeah, yeah. so so i think there's there's a there's a lot of uh, quality control we we try and we try and put in there, um, and uh, and so we work we work hard on it, and I think we we try and we try and be you know fun to work with as well. Um, it's uh, it's tricky. I mean, as, as getting getting started with anything though, uh, I think it's 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 tough. It's just putting the work in, looking for the opportunities, um, really, really, you know pushing for it when you get the chance yeah and even even if it's just even if it's just an hour a day if you can manage you know if you can say okay I'll just try and do 200 words or I'll just try this section of the map and mm. you know even if you're not it's just trying to push yourself to be a little bit creative I think that when, when, you, when you did um when uh, when you did uh down with a blackbird which was Stacey's you know DM's guild um adventure that was really it wasn't it like that was shortly after Roxy was born and she was, you know, a little baby, and you were sitting there doing, you know, a hundred words at a time, two hundred words at a time <laughs> on, and, on my phone. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 you know, and that's that's. I thought that was interesting. It's like if if you if if you can do fifty words a day, you know, hundred words a day, you will get it done. You know, in a in a month or so, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah. um, you'll get something done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, I think that's a great point about. Uh, working in short spurts because you know I know some people sort of wait for inspiration and wait for inspiration yeah. and then when they feel inspired they write 10,000 words in in a day but by the end of that day I don't know if the final thousand words are as good as the first thousand words yeah. uh, as as you're pouring it out but if you do that 
sort of work in short bursts as you get as you get the chance you're at your best i think when you start and you're constantly starting yeah uh, so yeah, yeah I, I at least i've seen that in you know creative types over the years yeah yeah no it's it's, it's it is interesting it's, it's kind of just pushing pushing through it but i also think you need that kind of foundation to base it on so we spend a lot of time planning you know at the beginning of a at the beginning of a project we, we do all this brainstorming and we kind of sort of block it out so you're not going in almost like a flow chart or a bubble chart of yeah first of ideas and then of the kind of the flow of everything yeah so you know you know it's not like you suddenly come across a bit where you're like oh no what do I, what do I write here because you've, you've thought about everything yeah. at least at, at a top level you know yeah I think that feels a lot like what I do which is to over I, I call it overthinking or over outlining but I, I sort of outline it feels to me like endlessly and, it, and it's a little bits at a time like I'll, I'll take paper with me uh, and my wife might be driving and I'll just be putting notes there and then those notes I'll copy them over and add more to them and eventually it becomes digital but I like starting on paper it somehow mm. feels more artistic that way and, and more easy yeah. um, but then eventually it's time to start usually because I see that deadlines coming up <laughs> and then I tend to be more like flow, like how some people will say they just sit there and get in the flow of it. But but I feel like I already have all that foundation from the yeah yeah, yeah exactly. Bits. If you it's kind of it's exactly what we do really mm. starting from paper and then taking the notes digitally and setting out all the headings. And by the time you've written out your notes, you you know you've got a bulk of it written, and mm. then it's just kind of yeah, yeah working through right. it. Yeah, and one of the things I learned from both of you is play to your strengths. Uh, you know, if, if you're a writer, but you can map or you can draw, you have a leg up on other writers right away. Because when I was reading, when Will, you first came to my attention, it was for that first Adventures League adventure um, with the beautiful map. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. exactly. And, yeah. and so, you know, normally I'd be reading, I have to run these 12 adventures. So I saw, okay, read the first adventure, great. Read the second adventure, great. Never really looked. And I got to that adventure and I read it. And I'm like, this is really good. I saw that map and I flipped right back to the front. Who wrote this? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, done. I have to keep an eye on him. Uh, he, but, you know, it, that Which map. One? Was that the one with the flying ship, or which one's this one? That's the one. It's the one with the the seated king on the uh, oh, on yeah. the on the edge of the cliff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so so obviously the the writing was wonderful, but that map was it was so different than anything else that I was reading at the time, uh, because it's usually just text and it's usually sort of following the standard formula for an adventures league four hour time slot, you know, mm-hmm. organized play adventure, and this was so different uh, because. Yeah, because you play to your strengths and because you used the, the talent as a mapper to to uh, emphasize what was also good writing. Yeah, and I feel yeah. like your maps have a, a unique quality of being part of the mix along with the words. Like, um, I'll say that when I create a map, it's like the last thing I do because I must, and I really wish someone else would do it, but I have to give somebody something. So here's what this encounter looks like. And it's like the visual capture of my ideas uh, and, and how it should, the, the room that the DM has to operate, right? But really, when I look at products that you to do, it's like the maps are an organic interlinked part of the experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's interesting that we, we typically start with the map. Um, and, I, and I think that's... And we did for Witchlight, the, the maps were sort of done. Yeah. 
as we were kind of designing yeah yeah and i think it, it kind of it's, it's really interesting because when you when you map obviously it only really works for location-based adventures but when you start with a map and you start to kind of sketch things out it's almost like you're you're you know you're building in the choices and i think that's really important for an adventure is to focus on choice um early on so i you know i kind of as i'm drawing it i'm almost imagining on the page little adventurers you know running around um <laughs> and it also it kind of interestingly it, it keeps things from getting too complicated because if you if you're like drawing a because we put quite a lot of detail into our into our maps right so if you're drawing a, a room and uh you know you've got a statue over there and you've got a burning you know fire pit over there and you've got this that and the other there reaches a point where it starts to get busy on the page and then you start to think actually is this encounter getting too busy here so that, that it's kind of a yeah. it helps control it a little bit yeah and one thing i remember is you worked on one page dungeons that that were you know the map but then around the outside were were the the text uh and yeah. when you do a one page dungeon like that the map has to tell the story as much as the text so i could definitely see that influence there as well yeah it was those were really fun it was it was actually it was interesting how we started mapping together because um my my first kind of break in D&D stuff was writing for Dungeon Magazine. And um, I would uh, put these maps together, which weren't, they were never published in the, in the magazine, but we put quite a lot of work in right, to, to making them look good. Um, and I think Chris Perkins kind of mentioned a few times that he was, you know, really happy with that. And it, and it kind of, you know, he came back for more, for more work. So, so that was good. But then the, the one page dungeons were, the first kind of foray we'd gone into okay let's do something together yeah. and put it out there so other people can see it um and they did really well you know they, they we won a couple of times mm-hmm. um yeah and uh, such good fun today i was i was a judge one of those years and it was <laughs> it was it I mean it stood out so much uh because it was very different than what other people turned in i mean there were some other neat ideas as well mm-hmm. that people created but uh but it, it yeah it really it stood out I love in those dungeons that Willow always puts in the little the little men that he imagines yeah. <laughs> like wandering around. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, that's that's I mean that is cute and it's funny, but it really <laughs> is something that a lot of designers that that I've worked with fail to remember is that always be thinking of what the characters are going to be doing, yeah. and and just yeah. putting them on the map shows that you are remembering that there will be people playing this it's not just this abstract thing that you are building with with no with no audience for it you know the audience is always has to be kept in mind as you're designing and that's a it's a great way to do it as well as actually physically put them on the map <laughs> yeah the uh the prismier uh map has the, the balloon moving in it which is kind of fun because it, it sort of speaks to how that section that particular realm starts and i just think that's a fun detail to to orient the dm as to where you will start and without putting a giant arrow that says here because the here doesn't super matter so it's just a relative yeah. over this way yeah. cool. and and that, that's a good bridge to get into the actual book while beyond the Witchlight. uh so you you mentioned that you started working on it last summer so it's it's been at least a year and a couple of months in the making it sounds like mm. yeah we yes. start we started actually in the spring the spring yeah because yeah. it was I remember us saying 
we, we were going we were going to begin it in you know March April time and then of course a pandemic happened mm. and I and we were all in lockdown and I remember us messaging Chris and saying hey we've got quite a bit of you know room time here <laughs> should we get started and um, and yeah we we kind of we did but we so. had the sort of the the top level concept through so we were mulling it over yeah. for the first few months and watching yeah, some well, movies and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when we look at this book um how much of this did you work on I mean did you kind of work on all of it and then other people refined it or what was the yeah I think it, it was um more so than any book we've worked on with Watsi, we were we were really involved with this one. I mean, typically, um, typically that you they, they come to you with a fairly fleshed out story, and they might say to you, "Okay, you're writing this chapter or this you know set of chapters, um, and here's what's going to you know happen in those chapters uh, roughly." And they still give you a lot of you know a lot of freedom, and it's it's brilliant. Um, but in this one, we were kind of involved like the, the only story they had was like a, a single sheet of paper you know um and a um, list of characters that chris wanted to yeah yeah, yeah to so, um so great. yeah i mean our, our initial meeting was very kind of top level where we discussed who was going to do what which was yeah a real privilege really mm. to, with um ari and um adam and chris and ourselves just yeah sitting down and talking about how the book was going to pan out yeah and so we were we were involved at the kind of concept stage for the hourglass coven uh we were involved all of the all of the realms were just this is the realm of the past this is the realm of the future this is the realm of the present what's in it you know so we we kind of um yeah we did a lot of mood boards for our characters and um and they were given to the concept artists and uh primarily it was sean wood who's just absolutely amazing you just see him yeah. create mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what we had in our heads and um, that was yeah that was really like stunning to see and to, to sort of be involved from that early on and to see our characters kind of coming to life like that was just brilliant so i, I want to ask a question but i first want to pause and say to anybody listening that there are going to be spoilers because mm-hmm. we want to be able to ask the questions um we're not going to spoil the end uh, mainly because Sean and I haven't read it yet. <laughs> We're still reading it, <laughs> but, uh, but we will spoil, you know, at least the first few chapters. Um, so listeners be aware of that and stop yeah. now if you want. All right. And my question is, it must be amazing for you to see like the miniatures come out of, like a hot air balloon. And yeah, no, we, we, Stacey and I were big miniatures fans and um, we haven't bought any for a while yet, but we've got thousands of them, you know? Um, yeah. So, and, uh, it was, it was actually one of like our, thousands. yeah, 50, 50, <laughs> we, we had, <laughs> it was one of our things where we got completely addicted to it, where we would, yeah. we would go to the pub and there was a, a, a shop nearby which sold minis um, and we'd go and buy a load of minis, go back to the pub, open them up. Oh my God. I mean, left. this was our Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> and then go back and buy more. So, yeah, so, so now they're minis that you ate yeah. it, right? Yeah. There's, there's, there's that big that big collection set, you know, which has got all of them in there. Yeah. And when we saw the um, the photos of all of those minis, we were just scrolling through it going, oh, my, you know, yeah. the mermaid. And, yeah. I know. Yeah, so that's really, really neat. Yeah, did, and we will did, be buying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to. We do have a daughter, but we're going to put a little bit of money aside. <laughs> <laughs> she did can play you... with it when she's older. Exactly. It's it's her Christmas <laughs> it's gift. It's an yeah. investment, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
the carnival alone has so the adventure starts with this carnival that that's your entrance into the fae wild or the the fae wild adjacent area and then from there you can progress into a, a domain of the fae wild but in the carnival there are just all of these amazing characters and were those largely that you just came up with yeah 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 it, 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 just, <sighs> they're so for, good for, <laughs> i guess for, for context we um when we separated the book up, uh, Stacy wrote the carnival chapter. Um, Ari wrote uh, the first uh, realm, so uh, hither. I wrote thither. Stacy wrote yon, and I wrote the palace of heart's desire at the end of it. Awesome. Um, so the carnival was yours. Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris had you know obviously Mister Witch and Mister Light were uh, uh, Chris's what he came came to us with and. Um, but he really just had, you know, their two uh, Shadar Kai running this carnival, and they had this sort of backstory about they've how they've sort of switched places uh, with a pair of, with um, a pair of elves who are now in the Shadowfell carnival. Um, but yeah, we, I was allowed to kind of, we were just allowed to kind of flesh them out completely. Yeah. So that I mean, they're probably my favourite characters, Mister Witch and Mister Light. We put a lot of thought and work into their story and their relationship and how, you know. It's really uh, wonderful. I mean, you know, you could teach game design <laughs> around these, how these characters, these NPCs are, are presented uh, with often, I think, very few words. You manage to create, you know, contrasts and stories like Mr. Witch and, and Mr. Light. Um, they're just described in ways that are very evocative that, that the DM can run with and that will create a sort of, interesting outcome when when you when the pcs will be interacting the players will be interacting with what the dm has Thank you. how, how yeah, do you it's... do that like how do you how do you is there anything that you can give as sort of tips of how to create npcs that come off that way i mean the npcs for the carnival i sort of thought about all the kind of classic tropes that you would get in a carnival and then you know use each of these tropes and kind of twist them in a way um giving each character a shtick, you know, kind of generally kind of their disposition and also giving them uh, one goal, one sort of clear goal that the that the uh, players can find out about when they're uh, interacting with them. And just to kind of keep them that simple, you know, just have them, you know, this is their goal, this is what they want to do, how can you help them? Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a really good, cool point that they were, they're kind of, you know, these it's a game yeah so it's you've got to give people something to do and it's it sounds really simple but it's really important you know that each everywhere you go there's something that's kind of going okay i need this or you know i want this or this is my problem and that was something that we kind of carried across the whole book really yeah know, yeah. yeah yeah it's it's a it's a great way to also bring new players in uh, because the, the, you don't have to go deep into any combat rules. You could just say, this is going to be a, a, an ability check. And it's also something that new players can envision because we've all been to a fair or a carnival or, or, you know, something like that. And so when you bring that, that sensibility of something that the player, even the new player already knows, then yeah. it's very easy to, to role play it out, have one simple, check oh you caught the fish or you didn't catch the fish you yeah. yeah and and it's it's really neat and i'm looking forward to teaching new players using this uh, for that reason 
Yeah, I think it's 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 one of the things I, I love about this book, actually, the way it turned out was, um, yeah, it's friendly to new players. It's actually, um, it's friendly for kids, like in terms of yeah. tone. And I think that's something that D&D hasn't done that often. Um, and that was and that was kind of cool to be a part of this. I, I could see, um, you know, I could see families playing this together and you can kind of dial up the the wickedness you know as much as you like um but that was yeah that's just, i think it's kind of there's just lots to do you know and that's, yeah. that's cool yeah. yeah and it's fun you know i played uh the the two-hour intro uh and then the epic adaptation uh this last weekend i think it was with uh mm-hmm. the dnd celebration weekend before last whatever it was <laughs> time what is time anymore <laughs> uh but but when i did that it was really fun seeing new players interact with those elements and, and they just had a blast at the carnival activities. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Great. <laughs> and I, and I, I feel like your encounter design has a sort of classic feel, but then also this modern element to it in that it's often relatively simple and brief in terms of the text, but there's a lot of and, and and because of that, there's little for the DM. The DM doesn't have to extensively prep. There aren't like a million rules. The DM just sort of gets it. But there are things in those words that create these sort of opportunities for people to engage with. And so it creates a rich experience, even though it's really actually a small amount of text, which is really cool. How do you do, do you do that deliberately? Um, I, I guess one of the, the thing one of the um modules i always liked i'm going to forget the name of it now um but oh yeah the steading of the hill giant king like that mm-hmm. that old first edition module kind of did this thing where it was like here's a load of elements you know they're they're all very 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 briefly described um and you know get in there and see what happens and that kind of i guess that slightly old school way of doing it is maybe the way we play a bit more you know mm. um yeah that there's you know the adventures that we play at home are a bit like that um but you know i think you did some cool things with like the uh the kind of the the dials on the map and stuff you know the, the mood of the carnival yeah, yeah so yeah the, the the map is a is a is a sort of a key element really to playing through the witch like carnival and again we imagined little figures you know wandering around on the map and the map is <laughs> supposed to be used as a kind of a tool um uh, for the players as if you've been just given a sort of a, a a theme park brochure and yeah we were we added these elements to the map which kind of help with the gameplay so there's the mood of the carnival which you can affect uh for good or for worse um <laughs> And it all affects your chances of becoming the witch-like monarch at the end of the evening. Um, and then there's the time. And the time tracker is really sort of for the DM just to, you know, it's like an hour passes, but it's just kind of whenever he wants to, he or she wants to keep the the, the game moving. Um, and then there's various elements that happen throughout the carnival as well, that various events that are tracked on the time t- tracker. So, yeah, I, I love the mood. It's one of those... <laughs> cause and effect you have a lot of cause and effect in here and one of the elements is that mood tracker where in the carnival section when uh characters do things it'll sort of say at the end of the scene you know if this kind of thing happened then the mood goes down or it goes up and it's clearly a visible thing that the party can appreciate that this is happening which is cool yeah 
yeah, we had the, had that. There was a bit of inspiration there from um, the film Legend, where uh, uh, you know the unicorn dies and suddenly it starts thundering and raining, and you know, um, uh, so there's there's there a few a few bits there where we thought that's that's what kind of fairyland does really well you know that you can you can imagine it kind of reacting to yeah like the, the landscape's are. almost a character mm. as well yeah but i think that having those those yeah having those kind of gameplay controlling elements put over a, a real sort of sandbox setup um worked, worked really well yeah because the carnival had to feel busy as well you know it's a it's a big map <laughs> and uh it was just for one chapter <laughs> so yeah we had to be quite concise with uh but give enough enough variation in events and characters that um you know people can just play there for hours if they like you know yeah yeah another built-in uh, mechanic that i loved was sort of the time tracker or the ticket puncher uh, where you could only do eight things because I think we've all played with groups where you have one character that just wants to do all the things. And, <laughs> and, and this is a very nice mechanic where it's like, okay, Bob, you, you've done your eight <laughs> things. Let's let everyone else play for a while. And, <laughs> I, and I don't game with anyone named Bob, so I'm not talking to you. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's little things like that that just make the game smoother and easier to run. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I want to ask about these Easter eggs. Was there like an early idea of stuff this full of Easter eggs or did you <laughs> two just go wild and surprise everybody? I, I think there, there was there was a, a bit of that right from the start. So <laughs> so Chris um, had the idea of including uh, the League of Malevolence and Valor's Call, which were, you know, these characters that were action figures back in the day mm-hmm. um oh and sacco chris did sacco yeah did, <laughs> okay i was wondering who did that sacco climb, but, um, yeah. 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 i gave him his bubble pipe <laughs> the sad clown <laughs> um, so yeah they, they had this idea that it was they were going because it was about time um chris had this really cool kind of high level idea that it was you know part of time is looking back in the past so nostalgia is is something you know that should be part of the story so that was a really cool you know thing to get us thinking on that and um with stuff like with the uh with the mystery mine in the um in the carnival you know it looks just like the entrance to the uh to the ride in, in the cartoon yeah, yeah. Um, right. um and that was you know that was that was very intentional we thought yes. okay, we'll put, put, put that in um and uh and yeah i, I guess it's it's interesting that there was a lot of stuff in this book which which was nostalgic for us, you know, just like looking back on, you know, our years of gaming and all sorts, you know, there's, there's lots, yeah. there's lots and of... Yeah, a lot of our influences from movies and, yeah. and books and stuff in there as yeah. well. You're so we, went, we definitely went to... Your Sorry. Wizard of Oz characters are just so absurd. Like when you read them and you just go, oh, oh, no, they didn't. Oh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> No, those 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 were the were the genius work of Chris. I think yeah. it must be said. Like, yeah. They're very funny. Yeah. And and like I thought like to me, downfall, uh the organization of it reminded me of your previous Fae work in Dungeon. I don't know if that was deliberate or something that Harry did, but No, no, that, so that was that was uh it was Harry's chapter, but um the way that we we worked on this, and as as I've worked on some of the other books, is that um 
you know, I, I do a sketch map very, very early on and kind of get that concept working with, you know, Ari had the, the idea of, okay, this is going to be a swamp lair of a, of a hag. And it's all built around these kind of, you know, rickety uh, sort of causeways through the swamp. Um, and the idea of the all wells, the yeah, flooding yeah. and yeah, things was, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I had all that to, to work with. Yeah. And it did bring my mind back to um, the uh, adventure I wrote in Dungeon called Glitterdust. And yeah. the the layout of it is a nod to that. The, the event, the events that happen in there are all right, Ari's different. great work, but um, but just that kind of yeah. swampy, like the cottage in the middle of the lake, you know, the yeah. kind of the surrounding stuff. Yeah, definitely. Did you think about adding the D and D heroes that are in the cartoon? Would that ever, ever come up? You know, have Presto somewhere sitting in a <laughs> swamp. Thinking about it now, we should have had them in the carnival. Yeah, we should have. As done. like, if you know, on a random encounter table. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. There's there's a. <laughs> yeah, there's a very sad story about a unicorn in this book, which we did consider. Oh, is that is that uni? But, um, uni, yeah. But but no, it was it wasn't really intended. It was actually it was one of the funny thing was it's a bit of a mystery now because we we were talking about these characters, the League of Malevolence and so on, and um, and I was on the call. I was wearing a, a t-shirt with Venger on it, and Chris <laughs> Chris said to me like, "Oh, it's funny that you're wearing that." Avenger t-shirt because and then the call cut off and so like, never never found out why it was but, but for some reason we weren't we weren't going there but Avenger um, in the next adventure confirmed thanks for the spoiler that's, that's, yeah. that's right that's right in a spell jammer confirmed yeah, exactly what uh so so you've mentioned a few of the sources you know the movies you've watched and the uh, old adventures what were some other ones you've mentioned legend and and you've uh, you know, Wizard of Oz. What what other uh, sources did you go to for inspiration? Oh, we went we went all over the place. We, we had uh, Labyrinth was definitely uh, one yeah. of them. Return to Oz for me is is the slightly creepier edge, and I took a lot of inspiration from that for uh, my chapter, the Motherhorn uh, mm. chapter Yon. Mm. Um, yeah, Peter Pan was was definitely mm. something there. We also we did um you know we looked at loads and loads and loads of uh fairy tale books you know we had read a whole section yeah. a whole bunch of time where we were just reading and reading and reading so so there's some there's some you know little notes there sort of the faraway tree and you know some of these all like children's fiction books mm-hmm. as well um uh yeah the, the, the loads yeah, <laughs> yeah i was reading a lot of folklore sort of before bed every night botanical folklore and shadow folklore and mm. it was very interesting actually but yeah, yeah. so I i'm just like making making notes the whole time the tone of this adventure is something that i found sort of surprisingly welcome like as i read it i'd go wow i am into whimsy and i didn't think i was <laughs> but it's been so dark like like and and even i mean not just the pandemic in our world but like the the adventures have been you know rhyme was pretty dark but even before that right there's there's avernus and just it's been sort of we've been on mm. this and so was that a deliberate design choice that wizards was looking for or that you were looking for to sort of inject this whimsy cuz even in the dark areas there are these whimsical sort of it's going to make you laugh parts to them yeah i, th- I think i think it was from from their their side they wanted to do something that was a lot cheerier um mm-hmm. and and yeah of course you know we were writing this during the pandemic and it, we channeled i think some of some of our 
what we wanted the world to be like yeah, uh, definitely. in there. Um, but it is also interesting. I think that there there is a, uh, when we were looking at all of our sources and references, um, you know, what what is the fairy fairyland and, and what are fairies? And if you sort of go back to the kind of real folklore roots of it, um, it is very, very dark and wicked. Um, and there is actually very little whimsy. There's there's kind of there's a lot there's a lot of cool stories, but they very quickly take dark turns. Um, and fairies are kind of steeped in kind of Christian myth as well. And there's a lot of like you know this is temptation and you know uh, cruelty. And if we were to take, I think if we were to take that more traditional line, we would have had a much darker story. Um, which would have which would have been great. I love I love that stuff, but at the same time, it didn't it didn't feel right. And I think when people nowadays think of fairies, they are influenced by children's literature and they're influenced by Disney and they're in, influenced by all these uh, other forms which are more funny and are more um, entertaining in a way. And uh, and I think it was a really good call for them to kind of push more towards that you know like everything that we wrote uh of course we do the drafts and then it goes over to to chris and his team and they hone it into the thing it is now and that involves quite a lot of you know rewriting of sections and some of the darker things that we put in there were, were taken out you know yeah, um and probably for the best you know it, it was that's not to say that there are you know not dark things in there i think we we got that kind of line in places quote well of that sort of you're on the edge of something creepy here and you have little glimpses of of nastiness and things can take very dark turns yeah. um but there's a lot there's of always something to smile about as yeah. well next yeah, I, mean, like, yeah. I thought it was really funny you know i'm on the hither chapter currently which i know mary worked on but um th- there's this you know overall it's a bog that's could be very depressing and sad and then there is this if you're foraging Feywild treats table and it has things like you know just like this pie or just things that have no logical reason to exist like there's going to be just some pie on a stump in a bog that's delicious <laughs> and does a wondrous thing for you when you eat it and it's just it's great like i love it it just it made me so happy to read things like that and they're throughout the book like that it's just so fun <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of your currency in the Feywild. It's, it's so the the adventure yeah is full of those things. You can start collecting them from the Witchlight Carnival, all the way through, and you're you're bound to meet some sort of Fey denizen that will want to eat a bit of the pie and happily help you for it. So. Yeah, you're right. That gives you that that sort of you have things, especially with the with the hag rolls. You ha- you want to have things to exchange, and so having all these things makes sense. And that brings me to the hag rules. There, there, the, or the uh, Feywild rules. There are these three rules guiding uh, conduct with Fey, which feels really brilliant to have three broad rules that the DM can rely upon to kind of create relationships, interactions. And how did those come about? That was that was uh, definitely Chris. Like, I think he he um, he told us that he that was part of his discussions with. Patrick, with yeah. Patrick Ruffers, who is the story consultant oh. on it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it that 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 was really great because it was obviously we had this whole thing throughout the whole adventure where um, we had this guiding principle that you could tackle everything without drawing swords. You know, you could always there would always be a way to negotiate. 
your way through things. Um, and so we needed these rules, you know, so um, that was just something that the DM could always lean on to kind of go, you know, like we were saying earlier, you, you were observing that a lot of the encounters don't really give the DM much, you know, they, they set out the situation. Um, yeah. It's a little bit like that, that you can, you can read the encounter, you can get an idea of how you might want to run it, but then you have these additional tools to kind of help, help you out um, across the whole adventure. Yeah. And it's, it's harder, I think now when a lot of us who have played a lot of D and D have always run it in, in a sort of a tactical fa- fashion and we're comfortable, uh, more comfortable in those sort of uh, crunchy rules that we, we use it as almost like a safety net or a blanket. It's like, I don't know what to do now. Okay. Let's pull out dice and let's focus <laughs> on these things. So to teach DMs how to run games like this, uh, yeah, I think it's important to bring back uh, both the, the whimsy and the, the sort of joy of creation, uh, yeah, as well as just storytelling through role playing. Uh, so I think this book does an incredible job with that. Yeah, and, and, yeah it, sorry, no, go, go ahead, please. I was just just, uh, just thinking like it does. Um, it's challenging in that respect. I know that the you know you can sometimes as a DM, you know, it's almost like you can breathe a sigh of relief when combat starts because you're you're sort of like okay, here we go. The rules take over a bit now. I, I can kind of sit down and relax. And um, so that is that is challenging. But we always kind of had the idea that this wasn't the only way to do it. You know, it was it was we were trying to highlight the social pillar um without completely taking away the combat pillar mm-hmm. you know so you can fight your way through you it. can fight your way yeah. through it yeah, yeah sure <laughs> but it's fun I, I love the uh the way a lot of those encounters are, are are handled where you you are presented with a situation and it make feels a lot to me like classic D where when i think back on you know being in, in high school and playing these games there would be a description and then there would be this silence as all of us took in what the DM said and thought, oh, what do we do? And it was like prodding with a stick, right? It's like, what do you want to prod and how? And, and then that was where the fun would happen was based on how you prodded. But it, but it wasn't an obvious thing. There were, there were many, opportun- many possibilities of how it could play out depending on what you prodded with and how and where, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I say, those, those are kind of a lot of the games we we kind of play um have that feel i guess it's interesting this adventure like when we were designing it we thought this is very linear you know like for, mm-hmm. for a lot of the sort of uh hardcover adventures have moved away from that recently but actually when you when we finished writing it we were kind of like well it's not really it's it it follows a, a more it has more structure to it but we've put in so much stuff that you can kind of jiggle around along that path yeah um, every group's going to find a different way along yeah through each of the domains in 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 prismere yeah. yeah and and when you do enough we've talked about this on the show where when you have enough say in the outcome of events it doesn't matter if the sequence of them is predetermined because each one had so much breathing room and so much customization that it feels right it doesn't feel like a railroad at all 
yeah there's plenty of um npcs that you can meet that you can pull in to help you or you know enemies that you can make make along the way and there's lots of different encounters that you can have so yeah no two mm. no two paths through will be the same yeah and you can kind of rewind a bit as well that there's we, we put in stuff where it's it's open to you sort of going oh you know what let's go back and speak yeah. to that guy you know <laughs> Yeah. If yeah. you do some of the hag missions, the hags will send you back to, you know, uh spy or uh, on the on their sisters. So um yeah, you can go back and forwards as well. Um there's all this cause and effect that takes place made me often think about the way Oracle of War, uh the Ebron organized play campaign that you're an admin for, will how it works, where it'll have these decision points that it'll say, All right, you know mark this down because you made this choice and then a later adventure will sort of call into that. And I felt like that was sort of what, what was happening here where, you know, you might do a, a ride at a carnival where you spent your ticket and you learned to ride a snail and then later you're going to ride something and now it matters. Right. And I, I really <laughs> love that. Like, yeah. was yeah. that something you learned from Oracle war or where did that kind of come that, that degree to which you did this? Yeah. I think Oracle of war was, was an inspiration for it. Um, Stacy put together the story tracker yeah when, when i was writing the yeah, the carnival cool. section i sort of thought wow there's a lot here for the dms to remember in their scrappy notes or not so scrappy notes um and i thought it would be good to have somewhere where they could just you know sort of officially kind of keep track of everything and and it also has very helpfully in the corner of the hags relationship with each other and it's just yeah there's so much that yeah there's so much that you can do early on that will affect uh uh things later on in the in the adventure so yeah having the story tracker was um yeah i think going to be quite helpful <laughs> mm. it's it's funny because yeah. it's kind of i think a lot of a lot of adventures have this you know a lot of adventures have cause and effect right they have stuff that happens earlier on mm. later on in the adventure comes into play and it's just sort of often buried in the text so what, what would what we're doing is you know isn't anything particularly magic it's just it's just a way of formatting it in a way that yeah. that really makes it kind of stand out so it's just kind of saying okay remember that thing earlier or is it saying this thing is going to come up later remember it write it down yeah um and then it's just doing a callback when you get there yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it is a little bit of magic though it is. <laughs> especially going back to you know working with a with a group working closely with a partner or with a group um, when you have that close connection when you are sitting down and co- communicating with with the people you're working with you can keep those connections more easily than if you're working off by yourself and then you send a manuscript and someone who's writing the next chapter may or may not pick it up. But, but, you know, having, having that sort of close knit uh, communication while you're working on a product makes those things more likely to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And this, the, the tracker, the way it's designed um, is really helpful because, and, and the adventure text will say, you know, write down that character's name, because that's something I often forget when I'm running quickly is I might write down this thing happened and then I forget which player did it, which character. <laughs> oh, wait. And then I got to ask them and I feel dumb. And <laughs> it's really great. I love these prompts. Yeah. And the role-playing cards too. Uh, did you come up with that idea of having these summaries of how to role-play a yeah, that, that that was that was sort of based on um, the Adventurers League way of doing things. I think you know, right, right since I started writing for AL, they they'd established this kind of format where um, characters get called out in sidebars, and those sidebars have a little quote, and they you know they they might talk about motivations and goals or whatever. Um, and 
I guess when we were writing it, we thought that there were, we thought, okay, we're making a lot of characters here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of. <laughs> Chris, uh, uh, he said no more NPCs. That was just a piece of feedback, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we, uh, but it was, um, yeah, so we, we actually, that, that was massaged as we went through it quite a lot, like, we did have quite a lot of characters going with you. Yeah. And then we invented loads of reasons why they wouldn't, you know. So yes. if you if you read through the adventure, you will see that there's moments where it's like, oh, because of this, he's not going to come with you. And because of that, yeah. um, to prevent that kind of overload. Um yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. But we did we did just think, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of cool characters to play here. And um I think just having those those cards, you know, helps helps the DM to remember. Yeah. Now, let me quickly just say, in counterbalance, when you've got an adventure that so often has a way to avoid combat altogether, and then you often have things like, if two or more are defeated, they'll run away or they'll give up, did you therefore not care at all about encounterbalance, or did you still kind of crunch the numbers and decide what is hard or medium or anything like that? Uh, In certain areas, a little bit, yeah, we did did look upon it like that. Also, I know that on the Watsy side, you know, they, they will smooth some of that out through playtesting and, and, and make some modifications. Um, but it's, it's kind a... of set out to the DM, like what level you're going to be as you sort yeah. of progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's we, we had kind of <clears throat> guidelines, but the, um, the adventure was so, ended up being so sort of open, it was quite tricky mm-hmm. to do that for. So to give you an example, um, the challenge rating for the hags that you face, you know, are really quite high and you're in trouble if you if you go up against them. In in one of the playtests that I did, the party got so far and then they were like, right, shing, here we go, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna fight. Um and it was rapidly turned into a TPK. And it was like, okay, that's difficult to to balance because we intentionally wanted that character to be very powerful. But there are so many different things you can do to change the balance of power there there are so many npcs you could get on the side there are so many things in the hag's lair that you can use to to change that situation um that it becomes almost impossible to to put a balance on that you know you'd you'd end up kind of writing pages and pages of if then you know you'd be going (laughs) okay i've got this and change this by that you know um, it's easier just to kind of hand that over to the DM and, and let them roll with it. Can you talk a little bit about how you uh, play with time in this adventure? Um, well, the, the, yeah, Chris's sort of high concept was it was a game. It's a, a story of uh, theft and time, um, and so each of the hags represents either the past, the present, or the future. And their realms are really, and their powers and their kind of needs and desires are all based around around that. Um, and the game actually starts that you've lost something when you were a child and you go back. So, um, and the arch phase also uh, frozen in time. So uh, yeah, time plays a, a big part in it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it kind of there were sort of echoes of it through. We tried to put it in throughout. You know, there's there's the yeah. the the number eight 
is kind of um you know sort of an infinity symbol and we try and get that in all over the place and... yeah that's why on the map the scale is up to eight miles because eight's <laughs> the kind of infinity symbol and the symbol of a kind of hourglass yeah eight and three are in it throughout because three is half of eight past present and future yeah 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 and that uh the palace and everybody frozen in time really made me think of this adventure lost tomb of martek was that at all an influence no it wasn't actually that's so funny funny you mentioned i know that hadn't that hadn't uh i mean it might have been an inspiration it might be one of those things that crept yeah. into my, my mind and you know bubbled up i always but... i always want to do it but i can never think of how to rip it off without being so obviously ripping it off and i thought <laughs> oh maybe this is what will was trying to do <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the same no. goal that i always <laughs> teos is just it. teos is obsessed with the pharaoh uh, Desert of Desolation series of adventures. So everything goes back to that at some point. <laughs> that's, okay. that, that's my nostalgia pocket that somehow yeah. I can manipulate. <laughs> All right. Do we have time for one more question, Teos, if, if, you, uh, if you have anything that you want to ask? Well, all right. Hags. There've been, there's been a lot with hags. Um, how did you, when you heard hags, did you go, oh, grief, how do we do this? Or was it easy to make this feel as fresh and interesting as it does? We um, love hags. Yeah. <laughs> um, when yeah, when Chris emailed us and said it was a, a hag coven, we were like three hags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, yeah, no, yeah, we love hags. And yeah. um, <laughs> uh, Chris wanted us to kind of come up with a concept for like the hag for our realm, uh, something that would make it different from uh, any sort of previous hags. In, mm. in sort of Dungeons Dragons and um and yeah we we each kind of took the so my my hag was uh about the future she's a kind of uh a prophet um and uh she can she 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 knows her own demise she has this uh rooftop theater where she uh, plays out her prophecies in this kind of open amphitheater through storm clouds and puppets and goblins and um and so, yeah, we were each able to kind of really put a theme, mm. a theme to our hags. Um, I wanted to make my hag as creepy as possible. I was really kind of channeling Momby as well from from Return to Oz. So there's quite a lot of her in there. Yeah, I think it, it's it's really interesting that that they can be hags can be anything. And I think that when we think of them in the kind of uh, ways they're written in the monster manual it, it kind of confines them a bit much and and i like that um right from the start chris was like no it's it's not it's they're not green hags or night hags or whatever they're they're just hags and we can make them whatever we want them to be um and i love that i love i love that yeah, idea like that. that that there is no one form of a hag there's no no one thing that you can say right that's i mean there's obviously connective tissue that you know makes them hags but um, but yeah, they're all they're all different, which was something that actually we had with the like the sort of fairies in this adventure. Where when we first started looking into it, um, we were looking at all these different fairies in you know movies and in books and the kind of you know the Brian Froud pictures, you know these beautiful uh, the, the guy that did the designs for Labyrinth, mm. um, and all of his creatures are notable because they're all so different. Um, and I didn't like the idea of us kind of going, okay, well, these are 
this is what a red cap is this is what a spriggan is this is, and these are the the tools we've got so we changed that and we were like okay well a fairy can be can be anything and in the fey wild a goblin can can look like a you know cockroach if you wanted it to it doesn't, it doesn't yeah there's you know. ladybirds and uh weasels and everything in the in the carnival and they're all classed as you yeah, know just goblins or yeah. fairies yeah. that's great plus then they're wearing outfits so who knows that's great yeah <laughs> and the thing with these hags as well is they've got quite a the the relationship between them is 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 sort of quite interesting they 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 hate each other but they need each other um and each of them knows a secret about the other mm-hmm. one so they need each other they could destroy each other very easily um and so mm-hmm. they they you know they hate each other but they need each other to to sort of survive yeah we... so there's a lot for the you know for for players to turn the hags against each other absolutely yeah i think we spent a lot of time talking about that didn't we about yeah. about how you know players could just get caught up in this game of hags you know of, of of trying trying to find ways to manipulate them all against each other yeah. until finally they all destroy each other yeah. without you having to lift a finger. It's <laughs> a really rich story. I love yeah. all the connections between the hags, the different peoples that live in the hags' realms and how they feel about the hags and why they might turn. And there's there's always a guide that could be found that can help you get across into the different domains. It's just, it's really wonderful. You, you both have done a fantastic job on this adventure. Yeah. It's really <laughs> incredible. Yes, thank thank you so much for giving us a great adventure, and thank you so much for coming and talking with yeah. us about said adventure. Uh, so, for our listeners, if people want to find your work elsewhere or follow you on social media, where would they go? Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Beholder Pie. That's probably the best place to find me. I'm sometimes on Twitter <laughs> at Stacey Allen Art. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Teos, where can people find you? Find me on my blog at alphastream.org or on Twitter at alphastream. Talking about Will's work, usually. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can follow the show at MasteringDND. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production. So, Teos, Stacy, and Will, now that we have braved the the witch light, what are we going to do now? I am going to go to a uh, Feywild Domain of Delight. You may have heard of it. It's the land of Nod. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you mean right now or if you mean like just sort of generally. That is a great answer. One of the best I've actually had on the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I will be off with the fairies. <laughs> Excellent. All right, I'm, and... I'm going to go back to reading this excellent book because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you so much for having us. It's been really fun talking about it. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>